Here we go. It's time to shift our schools. Welcome to Shifting Our Schools podcast. Shifting Our Schools is created and produced by Jeff Udick and David Carpenter. Shifting Our Schools podcast is released under a Creative Commons 3.0 share like license. In other words, if you like what you hear, go ahead and use it. Let's go ahead and get started. Welcome to another Shifting Our Schools podcast, episode 21, and we're here with Jim Reese from Washington, D.C. Thanks for joining us, I guess, this morning, Jim. How, is there, how are things in Washington, yeah. D.C.? Things are going well. Um, there's a lot of excitement around this uh, stimulus package that the Obama administration is pushing through. It's a, it's a windy day, but it, we're having a bit of warmth coming through the, through the air right now. Oh, that's good. It's not the cold February day. <laughs> and how are you this evening, uh, Mr. Carpenter? I'm I'm doing really well. It's great to to connect. I haven't spoken to Jim in a, a few years. We went to college together, and um, he was an international teacher in Belgium, and he's back in Washington, one of my favorite cities. So it's it's great to reconnect there, Jim. Great to have you on the show. Thanks, Dave. All right, so why don't we go ahead and uh, get started. Our essential question tonight that, uh, is how do we sustain change in our schools? Uh, once we've started the, the shift to happen in our schools, how do we, how do we sustain that change? And it's, you know, it's interesting. Like I was thinking about this as I was restarting my computer, of course, because what I'm finding with all of this technology is that the way that you go about starting up the different applications matters. Like there's a systematic way that you have to start up each application Mm -hmm. in order for things to be successful. Like, so example, I had to restart because I'd actually started the recording software before I restart Firefox. And just that little, I mean, it's not that big of a thing, but it's big enough that it throws off the whole thing and you have to restart the whole computer in order to get it back to where you're running. So David, let's, uh, I'll go ahead and throw it to you and kind of, what are you thinking around this topic? And then we'll get into a discussion. Well, you you hit it on the head there because to me it's it, so much of it's about systems and building that foundation and then um, having everything in place to keep keep things sustainable. And right while we were uh, you were getting set up, Jim was chatting online with someone from Fredericksburg, uh, I think it was Virginia, talking about the curriculum mapping um, important that is, and that's something I talk or speak a lot about on our show. Uh, so I think with uh, Jim, why don't we, before we jump too much into the question, let you share a little bit about yourself because I know you're at a new school, but in the summers you've been managing, uh, uh, being a part of the management of the Project Zero Classroom program. So could you just give us a little background? Sure, sure. Sure, I got involved with Project Zero, which is a research organization at, at Harvard University's Graduate School of Education. Um, back in the mid-90s, um, a school I was working in in Belgium was a part of a consortium of international schools in Northern Europe that were really interested in Howard Gardner's ideas. Um, and Gardner had um, put forward the idea of multiple intelligences back in the early 80s. And 
and the, the organization Project Zero had moved forward using that as a framework to look at teaching for understanding and how do we develop deeper understanding in our students in the classroom. And so that project um, was being promoted around the world, and these schools that I was involved with um, started sending teachers to an institute for international schools. And we did that for many years and brought the ideas back to, to, to the schools in Europe and then um, worked on trying to develop a critical mass within those schools to really move us forward with, with thinking about curriculum and about professional development and about how we were um, conceiving teaching and learning. Well, the, the, the Project Zero also at the same time was, was holding a larger institute, which has grown to about 350 people every summer. Um, we call it the Project Zero Classroom Summer Institute. And I got involved with that about nine years ago, and I've become the education coordinator. With I work with Amy Sullivan, who's in, based in Cambridge, and we both coordinate the education program for that. So we, we set the curriculum, we hire the faculty, and we sort of usher things through the, the week of intense learning for teachers who come from really all over the world. We have teachers coming from all the continents, and um, with the exception of, of uh, Antarctica, perhaps. And we... Um, and we uh, we really go through a, an intense week of of learning and and then try to keep in touch with these teachers to see what what kind of change is being um, promulgated back home in their schools. Very cool. Yes, very cool. And and now that you've been doing that so long and and you you finished your your doctorate this past year and you and you've got this new mm-hmm. job at Washington International School, uh, working coordinating curriculum in their NY. Uh, MYP program, uh, it seems like a neat opportunity to apply so many of these uh, strategies and, and collaborative ideas that have come out of all these summer institutes. So, so what are the, some things that you've been learning on the job? Good. Um, yeah, in fact, when I finished my, my doctorate last spring, I, I, I got a doctorate in curriculum and instruction. I was specifically looking at um, the development of beginning teachers and how beginning teachers uh, conceive of of teaching and learning issues, specifically using teaching for understanding at the start of their careers, and um, and so when I finished my doctorate, I had uh, you know a choice of going the university route or going back into a school, and I really, after being at the university for several years working, I realized that uh, my heart was really back in schools, and I I really wanted to work with these ideas I'd been working with over the past ten years to try to um, see how they, they play out with, within a school or a, seri- a system of schools. And so this, this opportunity to go to Washington International School was just terrific for me, and it didn't take me too long to, to realize that it was the perfect position. So, right, I'm, I'm now in charge of helping the sec- two secondary schools we have in the middle school and the upper school develop their curriculum and to put into place a, a really powerful professional development policy um, that, that moves us forward into the, the 21st century and really takes a look at 21st century competencies and, um, and, and, and brings learning alive for, for our kids so that they can be well prepared for whatever comes their way. Um, so, um, so some things that we're doing that are, I think, that are quite um, interesting are, first of all, we're, we're going to be participating heavily in the, in the Summer Institute at Project Zero this coming summer. So the WINS really liked my affiliation with Project Zero, and that was, I'm sure, one of the reasons they wanted to bring me on board. Um, and they had been involved with this International Schools Consortium back in the, um, the early part of this decade, um, but that, that um, sort of morphed into a different organization looking more at um, th- visible thinking um, and making learning visible. And so they, they sort of dropped out of that, and so for a few years they haven't been 
um, terribly involved. So now we're sending a group of teachers again to the, the Big Summer Institute, and they will be involved in a year-long study of the ideas they, they bring back from Harvard. And we also have a group of about 12 teachers who've already been to a summer institute at, at Project Zero. And so we'll invite them in to have these discussions and anyone else who wants to participate. So the idea is, again, to build as uh, much of a critical mass as we can within the school to infuse the classrooms with, with these ideas and the conversations we have across disciplines and across subject area, across um, um, grade levels and, and across divisions. So that's one, one big thing. And there's a second institute we're starting at Project Zero this summer called the Future of Learning. And, um, and I'm, I'm the education manager of that as well with, with Amy Sullivan, who's in Cambridge. And, and it's going to be much more academically focused, but we're bringing people in from, again, from all over the world, experts in, um, in 21st century competencies and, and trying to look at ways that we need to be um, shifting schools to be ready for the future. And so that's going to be an exciting conference as well. I don't have a lot to report on it yet just because we're putting the program together now. Uh, but Howard Gardner and Dave Perkins are going to be the, the two um, key noters for, for the Institute, and they're, they're guiding it. Howard's very, very much involved in the day-to-day planning of that. That's fantastic. So where, yes. do, we, where, where do you start? Like you're now working at this school, and you're, you say you're building the curriculum. Where do you start when you're building a framework that is really focused on these you know, on, on the new 21st century literacy skills, because I think right. what a lot of schools are doing right now is, and I, I always use I always use the analogy of a cupcake, right? Like for a lot of schools, what we do is we bake the cupcake, which is our curriculum, and then we take the sprinkles, which is kind of the literacy technology stuff, and we sprinkle them on top, and then we say, hey, there, there's the new curriculum. And mm-hmm. I mean, my, I'm in the belief that, that that's not going to work. What we need to do is we need to get into the batter and we actually need to change the recipe at the beginning. So as you're going mm-hmm. through it, I mean, uh, am I on the right track thinking that way, that there's no way we can just sprinkle this stuff on top and think, voila, we now have new schools and we have new way of learning and, and teaching. And, and uh, along with that, where do you start when you're starting to build this curriculum from, from the bottom up? Yeah, I think it's a it's a good analogy. I think it's an interesting idea to think about. I, I mean, so if it's an established school, then there's so many traditions in place. There's so much already that's that's probably working, and, but then probably a lot of things that haven't been examined for a long time. So I think um, it's a very delicate process to to institute change, just to get change going, and then to sustain it. So I mean, I think I think at the very basic level, it just has to be a multi-pronged approach. So it's not going to, um, it might start with some of that sprinkling because I think there's no recipe for how to, how to get change going. I think there, um, change emerges somewhat organically. I mean, somebody might get a great idea, try something out, a few people involved. Um, it might come from administrators who are, who are seeing something that's really powerful. They want to, um, to try out and they, they talk some people into trying it. Um, but I think, I, I think wherever this, this, the seeds are, wherever that growth begins, then there, once you see that it's something that, that is important, that needs to and have a, a you know a, a, some kind of sustainability, then there has to be a multi-pronged approach that gets involved here. And um, I, one thing I think about whenever I think about change now, and, and on a on a large level, um, David Perkins, who's who's at Project Zero, talks about having needing to have three visionaries in place. 
And so this vision has to be um, shared and it has to be um, the, the, the division of labor has to be very clear at some point when, this, when the change is going to become big enough to, to be sustained. And he talks about the uh, political visionary, the person who can, who can make it happen, who can mobilize the right forces and, and, and has the kind of authority or power to, um, to stand behind it. And it might not be somebody who's, who's deeply familiar with the change that's going on, but has to at least believe in it enough to, mm-hmm. to be able to stand up for it and to, and to take the hits when, when things don't go so well. Mm-hmm. And he talks about the practical visionary, somebody who, who on the day-to-day level is really making it happen, someone who's a really good systems thinker who really can, um, you know, can, can be there for people when, when things don't go well and, and can troubleshoot and those kinds of things. And, and then he talks about um, the, the, the person who is um, the, the conceptual visionary. So that's the sort of the, the real brains behind it, someone who really um, is, is thinking about maybe the theory that's behind it or, or um, can articulate it in, in, a, in a powerful way before a group of teachers, a group of parents, a group of students, whatever it might be. And, that, and he always says whenever he's looking at getting involved in any kind of consulting endeavor, if he doesn't find those three visionaries in place – then he's not going to take on the job because he knows the change isn't going to happen. And, um, and so that, those are sort of his markers for what he's looking for within a school or a school system. He must not do and much so consulting then. <laughs> yeah, he has a lot of stories about when it's worked and when, and when one of those visionaries goes missing, then the whole thing falls apart. But he, um, it's, you know, it's after years and years and years of working with schools and school systems that he's seen that those, those are the three basic elements that you need in terms of leadership to get, to get change really going. And he, doesn't, there's, he says there's no, there's no right or wrong way. To, who's, who's going to be doing these jobs? It could be you know, the classroom teacher who's doing one of these jobs. It could be um, the head of school. It could be a principal. It could be a curriculum coordinator. It, that, that's not important. It's just that the person has to have the credibility and to be able to do the, um, the, the, the kind of heavy lifting that, that's required of that job. I like the approach. I just, wow. uh, you know, again, I, I, I love it. And if I, I would never have a consulting gig if I had to meet those three criteria. <laughs> well, I think, I think one, one thing to take from it is to say, I'm going to I'm going to work with you, but we're going to have to cultivate these um, these three roles. We right. need to find people who can and we can we can build up into these three roles, and, and we need to be very clear about that because we know that change isn't going to really take place unless we can get those three aspects of um, of change moving uh, within a school. And he says oftentimes when it, when when change is um, starting, there's one person who's managing that. And I've had that experience myself in schools when when I've had something I've been really excited about, and I've got. I've got people involved, but I've been I've been the um, the locus of the of the change. I've seen that in other colleagues, where where at first you're managing all three of those hats, and and you're wearing all three of those hats, and you're you're managing that change. But he's, what David says is that once it becomes you want it to become systemic, you want it to become something that's sustained. Then the, that that leadership has to be distributed among three different individuals, and you can't um, you can't sustain it for very long and go 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 to scale unless you um, unless you distribute that that change. It's just too much for one person to handle yeah so i think on the consulting on the go ahead good day yeah i'm just going to share i'm at a very progressive school here in taiwan central international school and Mm -hmm. you that you've articulated that very clearly and and i can say in the very practical world that that makes so much sense we have we had a visionary and we had that kind of lieutenant in, a, in several of us were the, the can-do people to follow up and make things happen. But we didn't have that third person. We didn't have the political person with the savvy, the one really ready to take the hits a bit. 
and mm-hmm. it's really knocked us back a little bit on our haunches. And so we, we're picking ourselves up again and, and, and looking to bring someone in, just like you're saying. So that really uh, has come true in my little school. So that makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting because so many of our conversations that we have on this podcast, David, you know, come back to leadership. And, you know, how do you, yes. how do you find leaders that are visionary, that understand the changes? And Kim Cofino said something Saturday at one of our meetings, and, and it's been in my head ever since, where she, we were talking to the 50-some staff that we're doing a graduate credit for. And she said, you know, the problem is, is people think the change is a skill set, and really the change is a mindset. And I truly believe that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's a mindset that we need to – and how do you spread that? And how do we spread that amongst our administrators to a point where they are empowering people in their schools to take on some of these role, roles and lead a change? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really good question, and I, I agree with it completely. That um, that you've got to get people's um, minds to shift to um, to be, be more open to, to trying out ideas. I also think you have to be cautious with, um, especially with classroom teachers who are having to juggle so many things over the course of a day and a week. Yes. That, um, that 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 those the, the the change that you're trying to institute has to be you know carefully managed and and maybe broken down into into small bits along the way um but to but to get get people used to the fact that that change is just part of who we are as as people in school schools should be changing new ideas should be coming in new techniques should be tried out and and while they they might not last you know a long time there might be something new that's coming in the 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 nature of teaching and of learning is that it's ever-changing and 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 schools as we know are inherently conservative um, institutions and and they don't necessarily have to be if we could if we ch- could change that mindset that that you know every year you're going to have a different group of students so that doesn't that means that just by you're you're just going to have to try new things you're going to have students who don't um, learn in the same way as the students you had last year you're going to have students who aren't interested in some of the same topics that you taught last year and and you need to adjust with with uh, with the era with uh, the kinds of students you have um, it's a good thing to get out of a rut in terms of teaching the same thing every year and um, and if schools aren't aren't uh, trying to imp- not impose but just try to encourage that kind of thinking then other kinds of systemic changes aren't going to be able to take hold either and i agree and you i look at i look at what you go ahead no i was going to say you're absolutely right it's so interesting because you know when you said that really what really what teaching and learning is is we it should be constantly changing and I, i've written about this before that education should be constantly beta right we should be constantly mm-hmm. trying new things i mean this is where innovation comes from it comes from our education systems but so so many times i find schools and, and teachers within schools who who just do the same thing because it works and because it works why should i have to change and i think we've mm-hmm. lost that what you know and and maybe it's just our vision of what schools really are i mean is that what school for me, that's what schools really should be. They should be a place to explore, to experiment. It should be a place that failure is okay. It should be a place mm-hmm. that, that we can go out and we can try new things and constantly trying to improve on what is best for our students. And yet so many mm-hmm. times, I, you know, especially internationally, I've, I've had more than one conversation that ends at our kids do well on the IB test. Why do we need to do anything right. else? Right, right. Yeah, yeah no, we face that at, at, uh, at schools I've been in as well, yeah. Well, Jim, let me, um, because you've been very clear, there's such a big takeaway identifying these three different roles. Let's go into systems and structure, and you've just spoken about Mm -hmm. the the, the bane of our effort to get people to have conversations and look at new ideas. It's time, so much on people's plates. So I'm wondering, 
What have you learned through your experience or maybe you're already implementing in changing the structure of the day, the way your professional development works, the way mm-hmm. you give teachers time? Because you mentioned at the mm-hmm. be- beginning having critical mass, and you're not going to mm-hmm. have critical mass until you have these conversations that you, you spoke. Right. So what, what are some ideas you've got there? Hey, well, we, um, at our school, um, that I, the school I'm in now, WIS, we don't, we don't have a professional development policy per se. So we've, we've worked this year on developing that, and we, we brought, brought together a task force of uh, mostly teachers, a, f- a couple of administrators, but mostly teachers from the three divisions, to explore what um, professional development ought to be. I mean, it, it exists at the school, of course, and we spend a lot of money on professional development, but it's just been done kind of willy-nilly. Um, whoever, this, we, we, talk, we call it the squeaky wheel syndrome. Whoever wants to go to a conference, whoever wants to start an initiative, um, gets to the division principal and gets the money, and um, and so therefore there's been no systematic way to to, to bring about change and to... And to um, try to encourage certain ideas to take hold. Mm-hmm. So we've been trying to develop a school-wide policy. So we, we got a group of teachers together and developed a, a philosophy statement about professional development um, that has to do with lifelong learning and about um, the, interna- promoting international mindedness in our, in our community. And, um, and, and then from that, we, we have guiding principles that have emer- emerged. And now the task in the next couple of months is to develop the practices. But we've already put into place some things that I think will be models for what the practices become. And, for example, for this, I'll use this Project Zero um, attendance at the Institute as, as an example. Um, yes. One problem that we've had in the past was that we had, um, we had a transparency issue. Teachers didn't feel that um, it was very transparent in terms of who was being selected to go to conferences or institutes or who was um, being asked to try out something within the school. So um, when, when we decided we were going to send teachers to Project Zero this summer, um, I'd crafted a, a letter explaining what it was um, and, and created an application process whereby um, teachers would link what they wanted to get out of Project Zero with goals they had set for themselves for the coming year. And so the teachers then understood exactly what they were getting into. We also asked them to make a commitment that they would meet at least once a month with me and the other people who go um, next year to, to do to, as part of a study group, and we would um, pursue these ideas over the course of the year. We would also do some prep work this year in terms of reading some articles and, and uh, getting ourselves ready for the institute, so we would take full advantage of it. So that kind of of process for holding holding people accountable for um, the learning that they're going to, to to do, and then bringing it back and somehow sharing it within the school is something that we've been trying out um, in various ways. But that's that's the probably the best example I have because it's 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 become that that was a very systematic approach to it, and the teachers seemed to very much appreciate it, and we got it we got an enthusiastic response. And so, therefore, we um, we were able to to get this group of teachers together, who are now going to to be going and embark on this study for a year. Um, and and the, the accountability piece, I think, is very important. And it's not that you have to come back and um, and produce a certificate or or um, somehow prove that you've learned something, but the idea is that you have to be able to share it. So we're trying to use um, technology. We, we we now are using Moodle, the open source um, um, network, and we're we're using Moodle as a way to communicate at school. And so the idea is that if you go off to a conference or you're involved in some kind of professional development at school or somewhere else, that you are going to share that um, through Moodle at, at the very least. That's the, the sort of the baseline. You're going to be um, putting up what you learned, how it affects you in the classroom, what you're going to try to do in the coming months or year. 
And then secondly, we're trying to set up a system when we have professional days whereby teachers can share what they've learned in workshops. Um, so if, say, somebody learns a lot about um, Google Earth and how to use Google Earth in a geography classroom, that they will be willing to share that with other teachers in the school and, and try to imagine how it could be used in other disciplines, um, that kind of thing. So we're tra- creating these forums whereby teachers are, are sharing on a regular basis. It might be at faculty meetings or it might be at, on professional day um, workshops. And I think this kind of homegrown um, professional development is, is very, very important for our teachers as well so that they're learning from each other. And then that's going to, um, we hope, spill over into wanting to visit each other's classrooms and um, carry on these conversations and make make meetings that um, that have often been about administrivia more about content, more about teaching and learning and how we're, how we're teaching. working with the kids, what we're and, and, and not necessarily um, about what is working, but what might not be working. And, and where I'm, I'm a little bit frustrated with, with how I'm introducing these ideas and the, te- the students don't seem to be enthusiastic about what can I do. And so to, to create this element of trust whereby teachers are not afraid to say that, that things aren't going well in the classroom um, and they don't feel threatened um, that anybody's going to come in and, and judge them, but that somebody could, is, is actually going to be there to help them. So there's a, a real collegiality that, that springs up out of this as well. And I think this is a good time to mention my uh, pick of the week. Uh, You know, we're talking a lot about professional development. I don't know if you've seen this yet, but there's been a new status release from uh, School Redesign Network at Stanford University just released uh, Professional Learning in the Learning Profession, a status report on teacher development in the U.S. and abroad. And it talks Mm -hmm. about – it talks. it's it's put out by the National uh, Staff Development Council, and it talks Mm -hmm. a lot about – the systems that schools have used forever really don't work. And uh, we've known they don't work, right? You bring in, you know, you send people to a conference and they come back and nothing happens when they come back. Or you bring in a consultant for one day, uh, do a one day big thing, or even just the way we run PD days, right? You have a PD day focused on one thing and then you might not visit that thing for a year. It's a really good read. It's really technical, but if you're looking to kind of you know, have some sustainability if you're trying to improve the professional development within your school. This could be a great article to really get you started on it. So I, I just throw that I threw the link in the chat room as well, and we'll make sure it's in the show notes. But it's a great PDF. There, you can download a short version or the, or the long technical version. I would recommend the short version unless you're really into the technical stuff because it gets it's a it's a really good you know database report on what PD is like in schools and what works and what doesn't work. So it's, it's really good. I'm going to share um, a book that I, uh, that I, that's really been a big influence on me for the past uh, six or seven years. And it's called um, intellectual character by Ron Richart. And um, it, it talks about he, what he's really looking at. He, he does case studies of um, teachers in classrooms and how they are um, setting a culture of thinking within their um, classroom and, um, and, what the, and then he isolates what those aspects, what, what are the kinds of things they're doing and he's not creating any kind of recipe but he's, I, he's pulling out some of these um, fairly common attributes that he's seeing in classrooms. So it's, a, it's really about developing a culture of thinking in a classroom and then in a, in a, in a school and he's done work all around the world now with, with schools and school systems to try to um, develop this culture of thinking. Hmm. What was the name of that? What was the name of the uh, author? It's uh, Ron Richard. Okay. Yeah, just put it on the um, on the um, okay. chat. Excellent. Good. Um, there's a yeah. question in the chat room. Actually, no. Jenny is asking. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, just uh, is Jim getting a lot of teacher adoption, or is there resistance or apathy to this whole system uh, you're putting in place? 
Um, good question. Uh, so far, there's been a lot of adoption. I mean, I'm, I'm focusing on the positive in my work. I'm fairly new at the school, so I'm getting to know the teachers quite well. Um, at, you know, at, at the at the current time, and um, and generally, teachers are um, excited about this idea that we're going to put a system into place that is going to be transparent and fair, and that um, and that they, that something's going to happen with the things that they're learning. I think for a long time at the school, um, there's been a lot of money thrown at professional development, um, but but there hasn't been the, um, the the bang for the buck, if you if you will, the sense that people go to things but come back and nothing much happens. And so I think teachers are, are really thirsty for um, some some change and some good ideas to to be there. And they're very very much embracing technology and, and Web 2.0 and and trying to um, to bring that into the classroom and we have a we have a terrific tech team who are leading workshops all the time for for teachers and and they're very patient and they're um they're they're always there for the teachers help so the teachers don't feel they have to master the technology necessarily they have to um their 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 specialty is the is the pedagogy and the the tech assistants are coming in and help helping them manage the technology so that it's um it's it's melding with the the good pedagogy that they're using in the classroom and i think that's been very important for us as well. Jim, with the uh, the cupcake analogy that Jeff Jeff was sharing, I hope that, again that was that was a really good one. Uh, a month ago, my wife and I, she's um, a gate coordinator and library media specialist. We wrote an article about a curriculum development process that we put together at our old school in uh, in Hong Kong, where it's very much a team approach to developing curriculum. And curriculum uh, teachers are given coverage for a full day to develop a new unit and then some follow-up half days. But at the meeting, you have your curriculum coordinator. And if it's a, a large school, let's say it's the, you have like 10 fifth grades, you would have one teacher from each of the, the clusters within that grade come and represent the other, other um, uh, grade-level teacher. So there's a lot of trust involved. But you would have your instructional technologist, your um, library media specialist, potentially your reading specialist, your resource teacher. Um, and it really turned out to be a, a very strong process. People really engaged in it. We used the UBD three-stage process as well. And then we, our curriculum map was, mapping tool was one that we built in-house and very flexible and adaptable. And it, it, did, it all worked well. And a big part of it was the time. But the other part was the carryover that that curriculum mapping tool became a regular part of the teacher's planning. It, it wasn't something like the, the old, uh, you do your curriculum and you put it up on a shelf and you leave it, but it became mm-hmm. a, a part of their everyday life. And, and it sounds like you all are using Moodle for your content management. I'm wondering how do you, mm-hmm. one, what is your process to review curriculum, but two, how is te- technology helping teachers access it, making it something that they can use any time that they want to open it up on their desktop. Right. Yeah, we've, we've done something similar at, at WIS. Um, about three years ago, we contracted with uh, Rubicon Atlas on, with their curriculum mapping. They're, they're, um, they're very popular with independent schools in the U.S. and in international schools around the world. <clears throat> and, and, they, um, and, and that's a, it's a very, um, it's a very dynamic 
uh, software tool for curriculum mapping, and it's based on um, Heidi Hayes Jacobs' work, and it's got a lot of influence from the UBD Understanding by Design folk as well. And they do a lot of work with uh, international baccalaureate also. So we have a professional learning community on Atlas that um, that lets us connect with international schools and IB schools around the world. So so not only are we connecting with each other within the school, we can connect with other schools and see look at their curriculum and and um, get ideas from them or ask them questions about what they're doing. So that's really nice. The, the real challenge for us has been to get teach, and, and I hear this from, from, from people who are working with Atlas all over the world, the real challenge has been just to get the teachers to um, buy into the idea of documenting their curriculum in this way. Um, yeah. And, and it's, it's such a, um, a novel idea that you would want your curriculum to be public and you'd want people to actually um, examine what you're doing um, and that you would put it up there for all to see. But once we can get it all in and we can uh, we can see it, then we can do all kinds of really fantastic things and, and aligning ourselves. We're a pre-K through 12 school and we can do, do searches for the kinds of essential questions that are being asked for, in, in language arts from pre-K all the way through 12th grade. And we can see where there are gaps. We can see where there are um, repetitions. We can see where there are real strengths. And, and it gives us this incredibly powerful tool for being able to look across a school, across divisions, across grade levels, across um, disciplines to, um, to examine what's going on in, in the school. And, um, and, and, but the, yet yeah, the big challenge is to find that time to get teachers to, to actually document exactly what, it, what yeah. is going on. It doesn't have to be on a daily basis what they're doing. But what I'm trying to do is get them just to say, what are the highlights? Where are, where are the key points in a unit when, when you're really pushing students to um, deepen their understanding of this topic? And, and how important is this topic to your overall curriculum? So make sure that it's, it's valid. And so we've, we've been giving teachers an afternoon of release time when, when I'll be with them working. And we're, we've got our technology person coming in to assist them as well. But the, it's just it's a hugely time-consuming process. And we might be able to get through you know, one unit in, in an afternoon, but yet there are, they're teaching eight units over the course of a year and they're teaching four courses. So that's, you know, eight times four is, is 32 units they have to do. So it's just, it's going to take, you know, more than just an afternoon or a, or a day off to, to get this done. Um, so we're, we're plotting along. Um, but once we get enough into the, into Atlas that we can start analyzing, you know, how we're doing and, and what we, what we want to do in terms of going forward, it's going to be, um, a wonderful tool for us to, to really, have a, a living curriculum map, which which I think I agree. You, normally, these things I've I've gone on curriculum mapping retreats and and put together a curriculum for language arts over the years, and they and you're right, we put them on the shelf and then we never pay much attention to them again. And I, I see this as being using um, using computers, using software as a way to actually be able to see that and to and, and to revise it so easily is a wonderful thing. So the interface has to be. Um, you know, very user friendly. It has to be um, accessible to teachers, and and we hope that's what we've we've got. It sounds like that's what you developed as well, Dave. Yes, very similar. Yeah, I, you know, the only excuse me, <coughs> the only question I have with that is, I've been at three schools now who have adopted Rubicon Atlas, and teachers mm-hmm. have spent a lot of time putting stuff into it, and then never, right. nothing was ever used with it. Right. And, and you yeah. know, if, it's it happened here at our school, I guess. You know, they spent the last two years before I got here putting all of their curriculum in Atlas Rubicon. And part of the problem was a bandwidth issue. And we had the same problem when I was in mm-hmm. Shanghai is that teachers mm-hmm. get frustrated because when they are trying to work on it, they want it to work. 
and internationally mm-hmm. in a lot of these countries, we, you know, we just don't have, well, it's just slow. And I don't know mm-hmm. how you get around that. Um, everything else is fast, but for some reason the connection to Rubicon Atlas was slow. And so right. here, I know here at ISB, they worked the last two years and people put all kinds of unit plans and did all that. And then I came this year, I'm new this year, and we have not heard a peep about Rubicon Atlas. And it's just huh. basically been put on the shelf. Like, you know, you might as well have put it in a, in a binder book. And, and that's oh. happened at the la- that's happened at basically all three schools that I've been at that, yeah, it's there and it allows you to do that. But, you know, it, to me, it's difficult because we started the conversation by saying, you know, teachers need to be adaptable. They need to change. They constantly need to be pushing. They constantly need to be changing what they're doing. We need to be, you know, we need to constantly be reinventing ourselves all the time. Well, if we're reinventing ourselves. Why are we taking the time to actually write this stuff down just so it's historical data i mean is the his, historical data really that relevant but or- it's at the end jeff it's, it's when you get to that the unit is over and the accountability comes in jim jim mentioned it earlier and that's so much of it is about that we have to hold, hold ourselves accountable but then if you when you finish that unit and all the teachers come together and you you've got your projector on and, and you've got your your unit plan up there and you say okay let's take a look pull out the assessments the different assessments you did for the kids and let's match them up with what were the uh, essential questions and let's see how you did that's when it becomes uh, a useful tool i agree with what you're saying there and i didn't realize that because i haven't experienced that alice that it's on their servers that sounds like what you're saying yeah but that that's how it, uh, back in Hong Kong. That's what made it really useful. And then we put in a new section, at the, an additional section at the end, which were questions we had, how to improve things, and, and systematically, whenever anything became a to do, a person's name went right beside it. And whoever was the lead person on that unit, it was their job within one week to send the email out and, and become the coordinator, the facilitator. So it's. That human factor comes in. It's like so many things we talk about. You got to have someone who really owns it, who's really going to lead it, and and really be a curriculum geek. I think to to, to make it happen. Right. Yeah. yeah. I'll just add two things there. Two two things that we're doing in our school that I think um, are going to get over this problem that, that Jeff mentions. One is that um, we have, there are two curriculum coordinators, one for the primary school, and then I handle the, the two secondary schools. And we are doing audits on the on the units and on the um, on the unit plans, and then on the on the courses. And so we're we're giving teachers feedback. Um, regularly on 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 what they've what they've still got to do or what what how to reframe things or how to think about um, focusing the learning on understanding as opposed to just learning um, in certain courses. So we're we're giving them that kind of feedback on a regular basis, um, so that they they are going back into it and think and reconceiving of what they're doing and um, and, and perhaps improve and hopefully improving. And the second thing is uh, um, just a, a, an example of of how. Teachers take control of this and, and are empowered by it. We have our tenth grade coordinator is really excited about Atlas, but has had some resistance in her department. But she's the um, she's a science teacher, but she's the, also the coordinator of the whole tenth grade, and so she's having um, a meeting whereby she's going to show the power of Atlas to to think about cross disciplinary um, collaboration. So she's going to be able to show where um, where all the units are falling throughout the year in tenth grade, and then what their um, guiding questions for each unit 
it would be. And we also, in the Middle Years program, have what we call areas of interaction, which are sort of thematic organizational um, um, bits that we that we use. And so she's able to show those things on a screen to teachers in a meeting to say, let's look at what we're doing. And if, let's say that the history teacher is teaching uh, the, the French Revolution or revolutions at some point um, in the year, and then the literature teacher is teaching some texts that have to do with these these political revolutions, then um, then then it's a way to get them together in a, in a very quick way. Now, they could have had that conversation over the photocopying machine in the past, or they could have just been close friends and, and talked about those things, but that kind of thing hasn't happened in our school much. We're, um, we're in separate buildings, even though we're, we're in close proximity, that we're in separate buildings. There's, there hasn't been a history of a lot of collaboration across disciplines, and so this is a way to get people together and to let them let, try to give them the initiative to, um, to go into Atlas and to see where there, there might be points of collaboration. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we're seeing it as a tool that can can increase the conversation about teaching and learning, um, and and then through these audits, we hope that that teachers will see this as not just uh, an archiving of what they do, but as a way to examine and re-examine what they do, so that they're constantly improving it. Yeah, and I love the idea. I love the idea behind it. I was with Rubicon Atlas in ninety nine two thousand, uh, helped to pilot that program back in Washington State when I was there. I love what it's trying to do. I've yet to see a school implement it to a point where it gets to exactly what you're saying and come more than an archive of curriculum. Because, you know, teachers teachers don't have time to go and look at what language arts is doing. And unless you Mm -hmm. make it a priority and say, okay, today during the staff meeting, everybody's going to bring their laptop. And for 35 minutes, you're going to go and you're going to click on somebody else's discipline and you're going to look. And and until Mm -hmm. that becomes part of the priority, it's not going to happen. And Mm -hmm. maybe your school – I mean, all the power to you. And maybe it'll be, and I, I hope that it's different for you, but I have yet to find a school to actually take the theory of what could be an amazing self reflection, move a school forward and actually put it into practice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is, it's a, it's a huge challenge. And I think that I go back to the idea of the, um, of the three leaders of change, three visionaries that, um, you've got to have, you've got to have somebody who's willing to take the hits and to be the, the political mover on this and saying, this is what we're doing and we're sticking with it and we're going to use it this way. And we've got to have a deadline and we've got to meet that deadline. Um, and let's, and let's get it and done and move forward. And you've got to also have somebody who understands it well enough. I think what our school lacked, um, up until this year was the conceptual visionary about Atlas. It was just being done. Let's just get it done. Let's get it done. The busy work part of it was right. it was being emphasized. Teachers didn't know why they were doing it. Exactly. And now, now we're conceiving of it in, in, a, in a more powerful way, and, and we're getting more buy-in from teachers. So I, I, I can't say that it's the, it's we're at the point that I'm speaking of, but but we we see that we can we can get there. And once we get there, then I think we'll have enough buy-in. But it's you know it's it's still in the in the dreaming stage at this point. Yeah. Well, good luck to you. Thanks. Yeah. Well, it's, it's exciting what you're doing because you're drawing with, all, with the, that learning community you have with the Project Zero group that, that it just elevates. And so it's what you're bringing into the school. People are going to look at I'm sure, look at you as this guy is in the know. He is connected to people out there that are, are being creative and coming up with new ways to do things. And uh, um, so that, that's a big plus. And one thing, back to your days in Belgium, for all of us, the three of us being international teachers, wherever we store the curriculum with so much turnover in schools, we do have to come up with a way 
to document it, as you're saying, Jim, and then have, as I'm saying, some people who really own it who are going to keep it alive and each year say, how did we do, and, and then go back mm-hmm. and change it. As, as, a, as a parent with a fifth grader and a seventh grader, we're moving to Casablanca American School, and their head of school, Alan Hughes, is he was a curriculum director before, and they've done a lot mm-hmm. of curriculum work, and that to me is a big plus, knowing that, 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 it, that it's in place. And I'm just hoping that there's some, some, some real leaders there that are saying, we've got to keep sharpening the saw because my boys, uh, you know, I want the best for my children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think well, especially in international schools, with the transit, there's such a transitory nature of these schools, teachers coming and going, that, um, that, that you've, got, you've got to find, I mean, when you have new teachers coming in, especially teachers who don't have a lot of experience, then you've got to um, you've got to give them a, a living curriculum that's um, that they can they can make their own, but that they also need something to fall back on. And oftentimes, um, when the teacher leaves, the teacher takes whatever that curriculum might have been. Um, and, and this is at least this is at least a way to have something documented. Um, and and it's not saying you have to teach this as it was, but here's something to work with and to build on. Yes. Well, let, you know, you guys have done two blog, well, a blog post and a book. Let me go ahead and add mine. We've got to send Jim off to work there so he can be a right, change right. agent. <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of change agent, um, Cheryl Nussbaum Beach, she wrote a, a blog post, Why Change, right at the start of the year. And as, as usual, she just hits it hits right on the head and talks about a lot of what, what we've been talking about tonight. So I'll put that in the show notes as my um, blog post of the week. Great. All right. All right. Well, thanks, Jim, for joining us. Really appreciate having you on the show, getting up early and uh, getting things done in Washington, D.C. I like it. Hey, hey, this woke me up. Thank you. (laughs) Got you up and ready to go for your Ready to go. Who who needs coffee? That's right. Who needs coffee when you have a podcast? (laughs) (laughs) That's great. For sure. It's a healthier alternative. Well, Jim, we're going to have to. I'm going to catch up with you in a few days. I really want to chat a lot more or, um, and, okay. and make connections and, and see if I can get a couple of the resources. Uh, David Perkins and his work, just uh, I've read of some of his work, but where I can get maybe some links and I'll add them to the sure. show notes. But I'm very, pre- I'm very excited what you're doing and uh, uh, we'll, we'll catch up on that. Uh, let me, let me, before Jeff signs off share uh, our next show is going to be in two weeks february 22nd and our essential question is which comes first shifted practices or a one-to-one laptop program and i think we all know the answer to that one but it's, i think it's going to be very interesting and we're, we're going to have two teachers who were working together at the um, american school in bombay uh, deanna pratt she's moved on she's at shanghai american school now Hoffman is still there. He was in Hong Kong with me for many years before he headed to India. So I think that's going to be another terrific show, and, and uh, they're going to share a lot about their laptop program and uh, what they've been doing there in Bombay. Excellent. That'll be good. That's such, a, that's such a great program there in Bombay. So, Well, thanks again, Jim. I am headed to Portland, Oregon this weekend where I will be at the NCCE conference. I'm doing a three-hour workshop on Wednesday on communicating in the 21st century. So if anybody's going to the conference, make sure you stop by to say hi. And uh, otherwise, we'll see you here on February 26th. And that that will be a wrap on another Shifting Our Schools podcast. Until next time, keep shifting those schools. 
Thanks, guys. Thank you. Good stuff. Thanks, Jim. Thanks again for getting up. Appreciate it. Sure. My pleasure. Have a good day at work. We'll be thinking about you as we're sleeping and getting ready for our Friday hour. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.